Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Today, my friend Hero Boga is back, and we're going to talk about owning your value and value what you bring. And we unpack it, and we have different viewpoints. So it's a fascinating conversation, and I look forward to you devouring this conversation and coming up with what you think. I'll circle back at the end of my conversation with Hero. Thank you so much for listening. Hero Boga, hello and welcome back. Hi, Corinne. How are you? I'm fantastic. I get to talk with you today. It's a highlight (laughs) of my week. So Mm. thank you for being here. And we're going to talk about owning your value and value what you bring. And I know you have something to say about that. Yeah, well, I have trouble with that word value um, when when it's applied to ourselves. You know, there's so much um, in that phrase, own your value. Who determines what your value is? Um, value is, is not a descriptive word. It's a judgment word. It's an evaluative word, right? By by definition, it's an evaluation. Um, I'm thinking about you know I have a dear friend who's who has a daughter who is um, who has cerebral palsy, really severe cerebral palsy, so that she is now 24, I guess, and she has never spoken a word in her life. She um, she can't do anything for herself. She can't move. She can't. Uh, she can move her eyes, but she can't move any other part of her body. So for 24 years, she has lived with somebody else doing everything for her. And there was a lot of turmoil in the family. Um, and this notion of value, when I think about value, do we value a life like this child? I mean, she's not a child anymore. She's a young woman. Um, But despite the fact that she, on an outward level, she is really small. She is confined to a wheelchair. She needs 24-7 attention uh, and care. She, her spirit is big. Her soul is big. Her presence is powerful. And the presence that she brings into any room that she's in, um, not all the time, but often, is a blessing. You know, if she's in pain and she's in distress, then like all of us, she's not particularly present. But a lot of the time she's just there and she's radiating peace and radiating love and radiating acceptance and people are changed by being with her. So 
how do you measure value? What does it mean to own your value? You know, I, I have trouble with that concept. It's, it's a very Western concept. I don't remember ever encountering it when I was growing up. Nobody ever talked about value, um, a person's value. It just wasn't, it wasn't part of the cultural zeitgeist in India where I grew up. So I'm curious, you know, what does that mean to you? One of those phrases that everybody uses, what does it mean to own your value? Who decides what your value is? So, and thank you for your perspective. So when I think about value, because the the constant theme, whether it's with my clients or my listeners, is the struggle with worthiness. And so owning the value is your value and you determining it. So in the sense, and I appreciate the whole idea that value is a judgment word, not in a descriptive word, but where you get to be the boss of you and decide and say, I do, I do have something to offer, not a cultural standard of what do you have to offer, but just like with your friend's daughter, she has something to offer the people in her, in her life, right? And, and that's, the, that's always the point that I'm trying to get across whether it's to the listeners or with my clients is, you know, own who you are instead mm-hmm. of discounting who you are, mm-hmm. you know, because so often I see it coming down to status. It has to be, oh, I'm, and again, going back to the word value, I'm only valuable, like for instance, to the swim team, I'm only valuable if I'm a real, I'm the best swimmer on the team. Well, you can only have, mm-hmm. you know, a handful of best swimmers because we have different events. So you can have a few. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But really, that's not what it's about. You're gonna you're gonna contribute to the environment by by the th- by the things that you bring that, and I'm gonna say add value. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it gets kind of tautological. Because <laughs> I I was thinking about this morning where I, some some of the kids you know once they get to high school they start to have mm-hmm. shame they start to think the voices and the shame gremlins in their head say why are you wasting your time why are you even at the pool why you're not that mm-hmm. fast and I'm like who cares mm-hmm. do you love to be in the water does it fill you up and yes I you know not every day do you want to jump in the water and definitely not every morning. But do you love that experience? Or, you know, for me, even high school, sometimes it had to do with the cute boys and Speedos. Like that was, you uh-huh. know, I love that aspect at different times of my career. Uh-huh. But instead, so, so it sounds like what you're talking about is an intrinsic value. Absolutely. That it's not, it's not value as, um, as a measure of something it is intrinsic in what you value Mm -hmm. in what is meaningful to you what brings you joy what brings you into a greater sense of wholeness within yourself right Mm -hmm. yep Mm -hmm. so then we're talking really about intrinsic value as opposed to perhaps extrinsic value. Oh, yes. That's a great clarification. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah, it, it is, it is, 
yeah, I mean, my, you know, my granddaughter when she was two valued this little stick that she had more than anything else that she owned because she could chew on it and she could bang things with it. And so that was intrinsic value. It was valuable to her. It wasn't valuable to anybody else. And she wasn't, it wasn't a measure of a comparative measure. It wasn't a judgment. It was just something she loved and played with. And I think that intrinsic value, yeah, that's, that is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if we can find a different way of approaching it because that word value has become so tied into extrin- ex- the extrinsic value. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember, you know, there, there was a time when I, um, gosh, this must have been about almost 20 years ago, I was in a really, really bad car crash. My car was slammed into from behind and completely totaled and I had a head injury and I had, you know, shattered vertebrae and all kinds of icky stuff. And when that happened, I had been full-on teaching and, you know, running my business for a long, long time, for many years. Um, I had this really busy, um, successful, thriving business and a lot of people who um, depended on me. I had you know, a number of staff and, um, and, and colleagues and students and, and all of that. And I got to this point where I had to just look at what I needed in that in, at that time, and I stepped away from all of it. Um, I made a really deliberate choice, and it wasn't just a choice um, that was physically driven, that was driven by the fact that I just couldn't function physically anymore. I needed a long time to heal. Uh, but it was also a choice that was driven by the fact that so much of who I was was being shaped by other people's expectations, by their desires, by their projections, by their um, by who they thought I was, and by my value to them. You know, the the, the value that I delivered to them, and they, it's not it's not a black and white thing. I mean, I want you know, I did that work because I loved it, uh, but there was a point at which it was no longer serving me and it wasn't serving the greater whole either. So I stepped away and when I stepped away, there was this, it was like falling off a cliff, you know, it was like stepping in into the abyss and all of a sudden all of the value-driven things, the activities that defined me, the roles that defined me didn't exist anymore. And for me, that was such a profound gift. It was such a gift of finding out, you know, who am I when I'm not, when I'm not teaching, when I'm not taking care of anybody, when I'm not giving anything, um, when I just am, when I just am. 
And that becomes the ultimate um, discovery of intrinsic value, you know, to use that terminology. But it, it is the discovery of the soul and, and, and the purpose of incarnation, um, which ebbs and flows, you know, some of it is an outward expression of who we are and some of it is an inward journey into becoming and that that ebb and flow, that tidal kind of movement is always there and I think what we tend to do is value the incoming tide and not the ebb tide because we think that somehow um, our worth or our value is tied up with what we contribute and what we bring. But if you never contributed anything, anything at all, you know, other than simply your presence, you are still bringing the presence of the sacred into the world. Which isn't to say that, you know, we all just sort of hang out in our little pods and never do anything and get fed grapes by your young men in Speedos. (laughs) 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 Although that's your jam, you know. (laughs) But it does mean, I think, that, you know, life calls us always to make those discernments Mm -hmm. about And it's easy to tip into because it's easy to tip into that extrinsic worth thing, the extrinsic value thing, because everything in our culture supports that and and values that. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It's funny, Mother's Day is coming up, and I was thinking about that work of mothering, how especially when when children are really young, I mean, 90% of it is just mind-numbing boredom um, and exhaustion because you never get enough sleep and you never get a minute to yourself and you never have time to think. And, um, and yet, it's not valued, right? Nobody pays mothers in the way that we pay other people who work. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no the only value system in there the only rewards in there are intrinsic rewards well but doesn't it really come down to the intrinsic to really you know I'm a person that chased the extrinsic rewards thinking that mm-hmm. it would fill me up that I would finally believe I was worthy that I was enough. And every time I hit whatever major accomplishment, whether it was athletically, personally, financially, business-wise, you know, for, or career-wise, when I was younger, I get there and I'd say, okay, where's the damn party? How come I don't feel different? (laughs) Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, because that's the construct, right? That's the the cultural construct that says that, you know, you get this or you acquire this or you achieve this or you contribute this or you create this. And 
you know, huzzah, the universe will throw you a meteor shower um, and you will be special and different. But the reality is that everything that you create, and this goes back to something we were talking about before we actually started recording this call, everything that you create transforms you and transforms the world around you. But you can't go into it with the idea that you're doing it for that purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to hold that. There's this very um, subtle kind of balance that happens. You, you know, you have to hold that awareness in mind because if you don't, you will become undone by that process of creating. But any major creation, you are not the same person at the end of it as you were at the beginning of it because you are creating yourself as you're creating that thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You are increasing your capacity. And so you're increasing in some way, not your intrinsic value, but your capacity to embody your intrinsic value right yes absolutely and i and that part is so important is when you can recognize and this is what i've had to come to learn because when there weren't the balloons and the parties and not that i'm I'm pretty private anyways that i really wanted that Mm -hmm. but really what it was about was my own sense of worthiness and i and i or it was is this really valuable? Am I really valuable? You know, do I, have I done enough? What do people think? And and instead turning that back going, okay, well, what do I think? Yeah. And the thing is, you know, there's, there's another layer of this as you're talking about it. I'm just realizing that, that people can have a lot of shame about not just being able to do it all internally. You know, why do I need somebody else's approval? Why do I need somebody else to tell me that I did okay? But I'm thinking back to when my son, my younger son was little and he was he was this incredibly wise person in a very tiny body and and he would do something and then he'd look at me and he'd say, Did I do that good? And it always surprised me because I would assume that he would know that he did it as well as he wanted to do it, you know. Um, but he was training me, in a sense, to acknowledge and to celebrate whatever it was that he had done, you know, whether it was cleaning up his room or, you know, hitting a ball with a bat or whatever, climbing a tree, whatever it was, that there was something in him that needed that acknowledgement. And I think that it's part of being human. You know, we want we want our community to... It's not even acknowledging us so much as to show us that there, there, there is some effect, that we are having some effect by the, this thing that we do. And so there's, there's a kind of shuttling back and forth, I think. You know, for example, if I'm writing, when I'm writing, I couldn't care less what anybody thinks. I'm just immersed in it. I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking about 
anybody else's gaze but my own. I may be talking through that piece of writing to other people, uh, but I am very much aware of myself. But there's also that process of that, that writing is communication, as is any, any kind of creation. You know, anything that we do is both its own, it, it, is, it is a creation, but it is also an offering. It is also a communication to the world. And so it's like any communication, you know, if we're talking and nobody's listening and nobody's responding, uh, there is a kind of way in which your love flows out but it doesn't it isn't met it isn't it isn't received and when it re- isn't received that flow that reciprocal flow that keeps us all connected and creating together um gets interrupted in some way what do you think no i i absolutely agree um one of one of the things and I have to be really careful of this is that, um, and I don't know if it's just cultural programming, family of origin. Um, but you know, I was, a, I'm, I call myself a recovering approval whore. And cause I was whatever I could do to get other people's approval. And mm. I mean, there obviously were you know, certain total deal breakers, but anyways, so one of the things that when I, do get validation or, you know, somebody sends me an email and says, oh my gosh, thank you. Your show's changed my life or they leave an iTunes review and they, they say really nice things about yourself or me. Um, I think of that as like ice cream. Ice cream is yummy and delicious, but it doesn't sustain me, right? If I ate Mm -hmm. just ice cream all day long, I would be Mm -hmm. malnourished, but it's something that's fantastic to have every once in a while. And that's how I think of getting outside uh, validation, outside approval of that, that feedback, I guess. And, and it's never coming from a really a place of seeking because I think for me, when I think about seeking, it's in that it's actually rooted in shame of like, ooh, will you give me this approval versus, well, what do I think? What do I believe? Mm-hmm. And then getting feedback and then being able to take that feedback, whether they're with people who've earned the right to hear my story, who may be my trusted confidants or somebody on the outside. And I can still check in and say, okay, does this ring true for me? Does it not? Mm-hmm. And for me, that has allowed me to become in recovery of being an approval whore and really being able to own my value and value what I bring instead of discounting it, which I used to do, you know, early on in my life. Oh, yeah, that is a beautiful distinction. It's interesting. It's like, um, I think, think for me, let me just think about this for a moment. I think for me, like approval has never really meant anything. There are lots of people who, you know, um, who say, wonderful things but it, but i don't i don't feel i don't i don't feel the um the power of their soul behind the wonderful things that they're saying and it's not you know it's not because they're lying or dishonest or anything it's just 
we're a culture of hyperbole. You know, everything is awesome, is amazing, is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I am a creature of precision. <laughs> I say, I like, I like, I mean, for me, the energy of what you're feeling has to match the the expression of that feeling. So, when somebody, like this happened yesterday, you know, uh, um, a client of mine, a past client of mine, um, sent me a message on Facebook, um, and, and, and I mean, I, you know, it was, it was so, um, it was so much an, a true expression of what she felt. And I was so moved and so um, honored and humbled. And it was, I'm not saying that as a kind of cliche, but that was the feeling in my heart, you know. And, 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 and in receiving her words, I was receiving this energy of tremendous gratitude that went both ways to the reciprocal thing of, of, wow, we are here together on this, you know, little blue planet, tiny specks on it, and we see each other and we support each other and we we love each other and, and it, so it's that reciprocal flow of love that I value that has intrinsic value for me because it's a way of connecting. It's not about approval, it's about connection. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I've, I've worked closely with writers, for example, and and if I'm if I'm editing their work, I'm not. It's not that I'm not going to praise or or praise what what works, um, but that I bring to that process. Um, I bring to that process a commitment and a devotion to bringing that work to life, to bringing it to the fullness of its being. And we do this, I mean, with our clients too, right? That, that it's that devotion that is love in action. It is, an, it is a full expression of love. So it's not praise. It's not about approval. Praise is not approval. You know, there's a difference. The difference is where it's coming from. The, and, and when it's coming from that place of we are doing something amazing together and wow, look at what you've created and here's why it works so brilliantly and here's where it needs you know, this or that to bring it into greater wholeness or greater richness. Um, There's something of value in that reciprocal 
flow of love. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of feeling my way through this as we're talking. And it's very different from approval. Mm-hmm. I love because what- approval carries that same judgment to it, you know? Well, in the approval, you give your power away for the approval of somebody yeah, and else. It, it, approval, it, approval both creates separation and comes from separation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I can't approve of myself. I can love myself. I can praise myself. I can celebrate myself. But approving of myself just doesn't make any sense because it implies a kind of judgment, the other side of which is disapproving of myself, neither of which make any sense to me, right? Mm -hmm. So when somebody, if I'm looking to somebody else for approval, I am immediately creating a gulf between me and them. And if they are giving me approval, then that gulf just widens because there's always the possibility of disapproval. And there's the discounting of what do you believe about yourself? Mm -hmm. Right? There isn't even the space of thinking about what do I, what do I believe is true? And there's no communion, like you're not meeting somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's in that communion. It's in it, it's in that communion of reciprocal love that we meet each other at a really profound level. And approval just gets in the way of that, as does disapproval. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm thinking about this week I had a, I was coaching, I'm right now getting to coach these little fourth through sixth graders. It's so fun. And to Mm. work with this age group again, and they're really, they're awesome kids who just have lots of energy and stuff. And, and I love when a kid comes into their own, right? Because there's fear, there's all this drama about they're going to (laughs) die. Mm-hmm. And not that they don't know how to swim, but that the work is going to be so challenging and painful that they will die. And, mm-hmm. um, but when they can get past that and see what their body's capable of doing, and it's like what you had said earlier about everything you create, therefore transforms you. And yeah. so this kid was having just like this, all of a sudden, I don't know what got fired up, but she was just executing, you know, what we've been working on since March. Mm-hmm. And she was doing it. And I was like, you are fierce. Look at you. And I guess she was really excited and uh, told her dad about it. And he let me know. And I said, well, I only told her what she already knew. And, and it was that it was like Richard talking about with your son. It was that reaffirmation because Mm -hmm. she was feeling really good. Like, this is cool. I mean, it's like, we, we have the saying in swimming, it's fun to swim fast. Swimming fast Mm -hmm. is fun. But we have all these barriers. So whether it's swimming or, you know, as we evolve as businesswomen, as leaders, it's fun, but there's also that vulnerability and there's that 
you know, there, there are concerns, right? But as we evolve, like as I think about what I want to do next in my business, but it's in the sense of what you're talking about of transforming myself. How, who will I become as I evolve into this next level of my business? Who yeah. will I become as I evolve into this next level of being a parent? I mean, parenting is probably one of the hardest thing, or I think it's actually the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But mm-hmm. who have I evolved because I've become a parent? Yeah. And, and I, and I want to go back to something you said earlier, because for all the listeners out there who may be stay-at-home parents, whether they're a mother or a father, and so often they won't value the work that they do because there's not a W, and well, in the United States, we call it a W-2, right? They don't have taxable income, but what they do is so valuable. And, to, and that's where I was talking about, like owning what you do in your contribution to the world in your life. You know, I talk about swimming a lot of times with these little kids, but I, there's, there's huge value. I mean, we're helping people become better versions of themselves. It's there, but they're afraid mm-hmm. to show up. And so they're developing courageous, being courageous and comp, just self-confidence, learning how to, you know, go after something and maybe not get it and then how to get back up. And that's why I love swimming so often, <laughs> even though mm-hmm. some days I'm like, really? My day could be a lot shorter if I didn't have this. But I love seeing kids do that because they get they can get it pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, going back to what you were saying about parents, you know, the thing is that I, I, I keep wanting to put the other side of this piece together because because there are there are two sides to it, you know. There, yes. It's important and essential, essential, absolutely, to turn inward and to know in yourself the absolute value of what you do as a parent. And especially in a culture like ours where um, people are in pods, you know, where we're nuclear families and Often a parent is home alone with young children and kind of isolated. And as humans, we need that con- we need that connection. We need that sense of community. We need to know that other people are going through the same things that we are going through, that they see us, that we are not invisible. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not that we look and it's not that, that parents go looking for extrinsic approval because it's not just that they don't get a W two. Nobody nobody, you know, nobody says, Hey, wow, good job. You stayed up all night with a sick kid and then, you know, you went into your day and you took care of, you know, of everything that you needed to take care of. Um, nobody says that. But when you're in a community with other people who are going through what you're going through, then you can say to each other, wow, I really get it. I had the same kind of mind mm-hmm. last night, you know? So, yeah, I think that, that, that there's, there's both. We need both. Mm-hmm. It's not that we need extrinsic approval. Approval is not a, a thing. Uh, at all, it's a judgment, but we need that communion of of understanding of 
recognition. Um, it's funny, I was watching um, this TV show, which is, um, I forget what it's called, but it's it's young kids who are, um, who are, who are home chefs. I mean, they're young. Mm-hmm. Some of them are seven years old. <laughs> like they range in age from seven to 13 or so. Um, and they make these marvelous meals and I think it's Gordon Ramsay who runs it or yeah, it is Gordon Ramsay who runs it. So it's master chef kids or something like that. And it, it, it was so interesting to watch. I just watched a little snippet of it, but it was just interesting because they make, they make this food, which I couldn't make. It's just astonishing. Uh, and then they have to go up one by one and present their dish to this little panel of three judges. And the judges, you know, taste the food. They look at how it looks. They look at how it's plated and presented. And they taste it. And then they give them feedback. And they take them seriously. Like, they don't condescend to them. They don't lie to them. They don't pretend that something is great if it's not. They're not mean, but but they give them this very clear feedback, and I just what I see is them holding this vision for these kids of who they're going to become, and I think that that's part of what we do. Part part of the value we provide for each other is that we hold the vision of who who we're becoming. Because when we're in the process of becoming it, we can't actually see it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no. I, I think that is really important, that holding that vision of who we're becoming. And so one of the things that Jesus talked about was my term of common humanity. You're not the only one who may be, mm-hmm. especially with young pa- or parents with young children that are having sleepless nights. This sucks. <laughs> And I understand your struggle. And then the other part, and 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 I'm I'm hearing what you're saying because while I've been I have been so intrinsically focused in this conversation with you today, Hero, I do agree that we're we can't go through this. We can, but it would it's much better to go through this life with other people. And so sometimes we can go back to the story of the young uh, the parent with young kids who may be struggling with sleepless nights. Sometimes it's nice to have a parent that may be a few years ahead who will say this too shall end it will get better (laughs) (laughs) and it's nice to have other parents who are in it with you in that moment and yeah and it's like they're doing for you what you do for your kids right Mm -hmm. yeah it's that because that's what we do for our kids we hold like we see who they are we see who they what their potential is and how they're growing into that potential. And we hold that vision for them. Mm-hmm. And But we all need that all through life. We need other people to hold that vision for us of who we are becoming. Because we are always becoming. You know, I, it doesn't stop. I'm 67 years old. And I am becoming just as, as fast and furiously as I was when I was younger. Um, but we need that. We need that. We need other people to hold that vision for us. I, years and years ago, I um, um, 
a Mongolian shaman told me that in his in his community, they're a tribe, tri- they're a nomadic tribe, so they don't have a village. They travel. But he said, you know, when they're training young shamans, they start them out very young at age five or something. So when they start their training, one of the first things that they learn how to do is shoot with a bow and arrow. And he said when they, you know, when they first begin, they're really bad at it. But he said the whole tribe comes out to see their first trial. Um, and he said, and everybody, everybody sees that arrow flying directly to its mark. And he said, and of course, when they're first starting out, the arrow falls short. It might fall at their feet. It might fall a couple of feet away. And he said, everybody immediately forgets that the arrow did not hit its mark. <laughs> Which I thought was just wonderful. It was just this sense of being lifted by the great wind of community, you know, um, of intentional holding of a vision of who who we might be, who we, be, who we are becoming. Um, and I think that that is, that is the intrinsic value in, in community. Well, it doesn't always work like that. A lot of communities you want to get away from as fast as possible. But, um, but when a community is intentionally holding that, whether it's a community of two, Mm-hmm. or a community of a hundred, or a community of a million. Um, that is what we do for each other. We hold that vision of each other's becoming. Um, as you know, I, I drive 45 minutes to go take this back class. It's a functional movement class, and it's with my physical therapist. And uh, mm-hmm. it, and I've been doing it since probably the middle of December, and it's been great my back is actually doing much better. And sometimes I laugh because my physical therapist, he's 70 and he's a mm-hmm. badass. And um, sometimes I just say, you know, his vision for me, he has his vision for me is much higher than my vision for myself. <laughs> and, but the other side is, is that like, I, I, bel- I trust him. So it's, I'm not trying to, you know, get approval or anything. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to go through the personal discomfort and the pain a physical mm-hmm. movement that he wants me to go through, but I'll get there. And it was so cool because today when I was there, uh, there were a couple of times he's like, you're doing this correctly. It only took me about five and a half months, but he's like, you're doing this correctly. I got it twice. You know, I was like, wow. And, um, but it was, it was in this idea of praise, not approval and yeah. me coming, rising up to the vision that he had for me because there was a time in my life that I, didn't think that I could be this this pain free in my life. Yeah, right. And it was this his, person it, who is strong and capable and and free of pain. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so you know this is what he does. And and the nice thing about the group and why I'm willing to drive up for 45 minutes is because I could do these exercises myself. But there's that energy of the people where. You, we don't say you need to squat deeper, right? We we sometimes look at each other in agony, like how much longer till we can stand? And we're all grown mm-hmm. adults. But the fact that you, I don't want to stand because then mentally that may, you know, be make it more difficult for you. 
to stay in your squatting position, for instance. And that's exactly what happened this morning is we were in this exercise for 90 seconds. And so there was that sense of responsibility or sense of community of, okay, let's do this. It's painful, but we understand why the purpose is for us to be healthy and to have, you know, ability to move and, and live our life. And there's some discomfort we have to go through. None of us you know, there's maybe a few that actually thrive on it in the group, but the rest of us are like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> there's one woman, she's 70. And I saw her on Monday in front of the lockers and she, and she's like, I'm just trying to get myself psyched up for this. And I said, well, it will soon be over. <laughs> <laughs> and then we met yeah. back in the lockers afterwards, we were getting our stuff. And I said, well, it was true. It's over. <laughs> and it, it's it's so it is it you're you're so right in the sense that it's not to go it alone yeah but really go in my my thing i guess because i was such an approval horse go inside and own your value and know what you bring you know mm-hmm. know your worthiness and then show up and be with other people that that is for me has been the big life changing thing for me um and has also given me sustainability being able to mm-hmm you know, work at high levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. Some, I can't remember who said this. I just saw this a couple of days ago. And some, some, I can't tell you where I read it, but it was something about um, in cultures where there is no deep spiritual grounding, um, people go running around looking for identity. And that may be true, it may not be true. I think, I, you know, the more I think about it, I think that part of being human is learning what our identity is. It's, it, it's learning what differentiates us, what, is, what makes us unique. And from that uniqueness, then being able to commune and unite with others. So both are essential. We can't blend and become one big blobby mess, you know, of, of unity because that doesn't serve anybody. And we can't be isolated in our little pods because that doesn't serve anybody either. We are both singular and united and, and we have to live in both those worlds. And this notion of value, I think, um, comes into play at both ends of that equation. You know, that, that, that knowing who we are. Like, I don't, I, I can't remember ever thinking about value when I was thinking about myself. I wasn't even thinking about myself. I was just present in myself and, and experiencing myself from the inside out. I didn't ever really think about how other people saw me. I grew up in a house without mirrors. I mean, quite literally, we didn't have any mirrors in our house. My dad had like a little round shaving mirror that he used. He'd prop up on the, you know, on the bathroom um, ledge and so he wouldn't cut himself when he shaved. But I literally didn't see myself from the outside in. I just saw myself from the inside out. So there's a different, I think there's a cultural kind of difference there. There's also a difference in generations, perhaps. But but I think now, today, 
You know, it's essential for all of us to have that awareness of intrinsic worth and also to our intrinsic value. What is it that we value? And how we show up in support of those values. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also to value uh, that one of those intrinsic values is that value that comes only through connection and communion. Because there are things that we can create together that we cannot create by ourselves alone. Absolutely. Do you Mm -hmm. think that when you can, and I know value is not the word that, you know, but when you can really be you and understand yourself on the inside, and so the word I would use, value you, Mm -hmm. um, then you can really show up and have connection with others. Yeah. I mean, this again, I you know, I want to caution against absolutes because I don't think that anybody is absolutely perfectly self-contained. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who is, and I've met some um, some truly enlightened beings in my lifetime. But part of of understanding yourself is really understanding that you exist only in relationship to everything else around you. You know, that you don't have any um, <clears throat> any unconditioned being. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you, you, your soul it lives in the realm of the unconditional. But your incarnate self lives in the realm of the conditioned and the realm of the conditioned, which is our 3D world, is the realm of relationship. So, you know, I'm in relationship with, like, I I couldn't be talking to you if I weren't in relationship with the air around me because it is fueling my lungs and my breath and (laughs) oxygenating my blood and making it possible for me to talk you without passing out, right? Mm-hmm. So even at the simplest level, we are we are functions of relationship. And the more fully we know ourselves, the more fully we know that. And so then the more fully we can truly show up for as ourselves for each other. I love that. Hero, thank you for this lovely conversation and this unpacking of it and exploration that we did about owning your value and valuing yourself. Mm, thank you. It's always such a delight to talk with you. It's the highlight of my week. So thank you. And until next time, I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you very much. Yeah. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What do you think? I love how the word value for me is really empowering. And for Hero, it is not. And I'm not going to say it's not empowering for her, but how she says that value is a judgment word. And for me, 
the idea is always you be the boss of you. And that way you can show up and be brave in your life and do the work that's important to you. Live the lifestyle that's in line with your values. Another another way to use the word value. So for me, it's not so much a judgment word because it's not about what do other people value and do I fit into that mold? For me, it's about owning my own worthiness and valuing what I bring to every encounter, to my relationships with friends, my relationships with my family, to your career, work, maybe it's your community service. Value what you bring because we each bring things. And sometimes there's things that may be a bit unique about us or maybe an added value. And there are other times that like Hero and I said, where we're more similar than not. And we really are. But sometimes we think, oh no, this part of me, right, is not going to be helpful. But maybe that helps the group that you're in. And really paying attention to that, you know, owning your value and valuing what you bring is so important for the listeners that listen to the show and also for my clients of really being able to own their value, not based on how much money do you make, what is your title, how many letters you have after your name, but your value, the essence of who you are on the inside. And I want to talk about common humanity because we we mentioned it earlier. Common humanity is from Dr. Kristen Neff at University of Texas, and she's the one that first brought it to my um attention years ago in an interview, and I'll link that interview in the show notes. But common humanity is you're not the only one. You're not alone. And we really want to know that we're not alone. Even when we're going through pain and suffering of maybe sleepless nights with our young children, or for me in a back class, or maybe you're building your business, or the difficulties of raising teenagers, like it's not just you. In fact, Brene has a book titled I thought it was just me, right? Common humanity. You're not alone. There's somebody else that's going through this struggle too. And then the other part, and Hero wanted this part too, of the the extrinsic, right? We are doing something amazing together and and being connected because that is so important. We are hardwired for connection. We can do more, create more, be more with other people. And it's about finding the right people for you. So maybe if you look around and maybe you're not in the right environment, but finding and cultivating that environment and doing amazing things together and be careful because amazing can be a trigger word where it's like, oh, well, this isn't special enough or where's my party? Where are my balloons? This isn't high enough and enough, all of that stuff. Letting go of that. And finally, I want to wrap up with remember Words have triggers for different people because of the stories we bring to them. So Hero and I have a different viewpoint of value and there's no right or wrong. So thank you for listening to us unpack that today. Realizing that words mean different things. Some of it's based on how we grow up culturally, our family of origin. She mentioned growing up without mirrors in her home. Um, not having that approval hornest that I grew up with. There's no right or wrong. It, understanding. And so sometimes when somebody says something, you can even ask, well, what, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? And that's what we're able to uh, do today. 
It's time to do a shout out to Fran in Canada. Thank you so much for leaving an iTunes review. And for those of you that are just hungering, I know you are, to go and leave an iTunes review for the show. It helps the show. It's just wonderful feedback for me. And it's honest. You could say you hate it. That's okay too. So there'll be a link in the show notes. And thank you, thank you, thank you. And also jump on my newsletter. Go to my website, www.howshereallydoesit.com. There's also going to be a link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter and let's stay connected. Okay, until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide.